Lord, we thank you for your holy word, <coughs> scriptures, this revelation of yourself and of your gospel. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would work in each and every one of us and we may behold Jesus Christ in all his beauty and glory and sufficiency as our Saviour once again. Draw our hearts after him then again today that we may boast in him and in him alone. Amen. 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 Now today is a thanksgiving service in particular. Thanksgiving to God for this church and the long testimony that it was born to the gospel of Christ. It is that gospel which is God's gospel. It originates with Him. He has given it to us in His Word. It is that gospel that is responsible for this church. It's the reason for its existence. It's the reason for the existence of any true church of Christ. This gospel created this church, sustains this church. And a focal point of the gospel is the death of Jesus Christ. This evening, we will be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul summarizes the gospel, the opening verses of that chapter, and speaks of Christ, who died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, and then rose again from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. So I have nothing new to say to you this morning, because I'm going to preach on the death of Jesus Christ this morning and on the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I'm not embarrassed by that. If you grow weary of hearing of those things, then something is wrong with your heart. This should be something that thrills us. This is God's gospel. This is the thing, these are the things that God has entrusted to us. You remember how the Apostle Paul was so jealous to defend that gospel in Galatians 1. He uses very strong language. He says, if someone comes to you, even an angel from heaven, and tells you something else other than I have preached to you, let it be a curse, an anathema pronounced upon him. That's very strong language. Paul, you see, says, I didn't get my gospel. I didn't make it up. I didn't get it from man. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. It is Christ's gospel. It is God's gospel. And as such, it is something very wonderful. And we will never tire of hearing of the death and the resurrection of our dear Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now the amazing thing is, here Paul is writing to the Galatians. We are probably less than 20 years since Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. And even shorter, because although this is one of the earliest letters that uh, Paul wrote, this is a young church, and already there are serious problems. Satan has two ways in which he seeks to destroy the church of Christ. One is by persecution, the other is by sowing seeds of error false teachers and false prophets. And there are some who 
have wormed their way into the church, churches in Galatia. Paul refers to them in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And then verse 7, he says, there are those who trouble you and want to pervert this gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing then this letter to make sure that the Galatian churches are kept free from error they are on track, that they continue to believe the gospel by which they were saved and by which they will be saved. The letter to the Galatians is different from all the other letters because Paul does not pray for them in the same kind of way as he does. He does not thank God for them in the same way as he does with other churches. But he begins with grace to you, verse 3, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then this very terse, brief statement. Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. There is his summary. This is the essence of what they are to believe and to rely on Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. You see there were those who were perverting the gospel and saying to these Galatians, well yeah it's all very well to rely upon Jesus Christ but you need to be circumcised as well and you need to have, uh, you need to keep the kosher Jewish dietary laws, you need to keep these Sabbaths and these other rules and regulations that are there in the New Testament. These are also vital to your salvation. And Paul is saying, no way. No way. It is Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Jesus only. That is God's gospel. That is God's way of salvation. And as we look at this phrase carefully this morning, my concern is that we will see again what it is to have really trusted in Jesus Christ alone and what it then means to boast alone in Jesus Christ. And appreciate then our Lord more and more. Perhaps appreciate Him more than we've ever done before by understanding what it is He has done by His death on the cross. Because there are many things that result from his death. And there is one purpose that Paul confronts us with here in this passage. He gave himself for our sins so that, there's the purpose, he might deliver us from this present evil age. Now we're not going to look at everything in verses 4 and 5 in detail. There are three things I want to set before you. First of all, God's gospel concerns Christ's voluntary self-sacrifice. God's gospel concerns Jesus Christ, but it concerns his voluntary self-sacrifice. Paul would have us understand two things about Christ's death on the cross outside those city walls of Jerusalem. 
Firstly, he would understand he gave himself. He delivered himself up to death. It was not martyrdom. It was not something that was out of his control. We would call it bad luck or fate. Nothing of that order. It was not Pilate. It was not Herod. It was not the soldiers. And it wasn't the Pharisees and the scribes and others who turned their back upon Christ and accused him of blasphemy. It wasn't they who killed the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately. Jesus Christ chose voluntarily to die on the cross. He did it freely. It was a voluntary and a deliberate decision on his part. Indeed, he came into the world for that very purpose. When he was born, he was given the name Jesus, which means Saviour. He will save his people from their sins. There are many testimonies in the Gospels and throughout the letters of the New Testament. And if you go back to, to Isaiah chapter 53, and other Old Testament prophecies. Paul here says later on in Galatians, He loved me and he gave himself for me. Jesus himself said that he had come to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life. And in that famous passage in John chapter 10, he says, My Father loves me because I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. That speaks of his death and all that leads up to his death. He was focused. He was fixed in his mind. His purpose, it was resolute. It was all because of his love towards us. But he gave himself. That's the first thing that we notice. The second thing in his voluntary self-sacrifice is the infinite value of his death. He gave himself for our sins. He made atonement for our sins. He turned aside the wrath the anger, the just condemnation of God that you and I deserve. He bore that wrath. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He secured the forgiveness of sins by his death. That's what it means when he says he died for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. Our sins were what kept us away from God. Created a barrier. A real problem. We could not come to God in our sin. But Jesus Christ deals with our sin. When? On the cross. He made atonement. He gave himself. That was his sole object in coming into this world. To give himself for his people. For all those who put their trust and confidence in him, he gave himself in order then for him to deal with sin. Nothing else will remove the death, remove sin and its consequences except the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. How else could the apostle 
begin in verse 3 and say grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. If sin, if sin was still a barrier and a problem, it is Christ who opens our door. It is Christ then who enables the Apostle Paul to say grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that source of grace. He is the one who has made peace by his blood on the cross. And because that is the effects of his death, it implies that his sacrifice was complete, it was all-sufficient, it was perfect, and therefore of infinite value. Boys and girls, you don't know what the word infinite means. It means you can't measure it. You can't measure it. You can't measure the infinite love of Christ and the infinite value of the blood that he shed on that cross. Peter can talk about the precious blood of the Lamb of God. It's the Lamb of God, whom John says, takes away the sin only he does it. Only he can. You see, Paul is already laying then the foundation for saying to these Galatians, look, these other things that these troublers, these perverters of the gospel, they're coming with. They're, they're, they're talking about man-made things. What good can circumcision do? What good can eating or not eating certain foods on certain days? What good can keeping all these Sabbath feasts and so on? What good can they do? How can they deal with your sin? Can you say of circumcision? Well, such is the effect of circumcision. Grace and peace to you. It's impossible. It's nonsense. And Paul is saying then very clearly to them. You don't need any human contribution. Focus upon Christ's self-sacrifice that was voluntary. He gave himself for your sins. You can't contribute to your salvation. Don't really like trying to repair that smashed window with a bit of super glue and picking up all the shards of glass. Some of you laughed when I suggested that as a possibility. This is, this is laughable. But anyone should have the idea they could introduce some kind of human way of making peace with God. It's totally impossible. If you are here this morning thinking, well, as long as I pray, as long as I do my best, as long as I have good intentions, as long as I'm sincere, as long as I read my, my Bible, and you could add 101 things to that. If you rely upon any of those things, you will die in your sin. Because those things can't deal with your sin. It's only Christ. Only Christ. And that's why Paul, right up front, says, Here he is, the one who gave himself and died for our sins. So it's the sufficiency then of Christ, of Christ alone. But then, secondly, God's gospel. 
speaks of the deliverance that Christ accomplishes. The deliverance he accomplishes. Now here is the specific purpose for which Christ died on the cross. It's not always grasped. Its significance is not always appreciated. The Galatians, I don't think, had fully grasped it or fully appreciated it. Which is why Paul puts it right up front. He wants to get their ears. He wants to get their hearts right at the very beginning of what he has to say to them. God's gospel tells us that Christ's death on the cross secures a deliverance. Deliverance from this present evil age. Let's focus for a moment on the deliverance and that word that is used there. God's gospel concerns an accomplished act of rescue on his part, on God's part, on Christ's part. When Joseph was sold into Egypt, he needed to be delivered out of all his troubles. And the word delivered there is exactly the same word as you have here. You'll find those words in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 10. When Peter was imprisoned by Herod, the Lord sent his angel to deliver him. He needed to be rescued. It was the only way he could get out of prison. Delivered from the hand of Herod and all the expectations of the people. Paul himself, when he was first converted, the Lord told him, I will deliver you from the Jewish people and the Gentiles. Same word in each of those occasions. And it is God who does it on each occasion. And this deliverance then, this is another way of saying, he saved us. And it is God who saved us. It's God's gospel and it is God who saves us. It's Christ who does it. Every one of us needs to be delivered from this present evil age. And we'll see what that means in a moment. But this divine deliverance, this is a divine provision. It's used here as a picture to speak then of God and of his salvation. You see, the fact of the matter is that every single one of us, no matter how young you are, how old you are, as we were born into this world, we have a predicament. Boys and girls, know what a predicament is? Predicament is a situation you can't do anything about. You're helpless. You can't change things. This is going back now to the effects of Adam and Eve's sin. Death has come into this world. Sin has entered into this world. That's the predicament. And you can't escape. There's no way out. By yourself, you're helpless, you're powerless. You can't dig your way out of this pit. It's too deep. You need to be rescued. You need to be delivered. You need to be saved. And only God can do that. Only God can deal with your sin. And deal with the consequences of sin. Death and condemnation and hell. But what precisely is this predicament? Why do we need to be rescued? What does it mean to be rescued from this present evil age? 
Now, in the original language, the word order is slightly different. It's done so for emphasis. This present age, evil, which is a way of saying this whole present age is characterized, it's dominated by evil, by wickedness, by things that are against God. It's characterized that and dominated in that way. Well, why is it described in this way? Why is it designated as an evil present age? What's this present age? We better, better identify that first of all and then see what it is that Paul is actually saying is evil. Is it just the days in which we're living? I don't think anybody would doubt the days in which we're living are wicked and evil. But they've always been that way. But it can't mean this age in which we are personally, because Paul is writing to the Galatians. He's saying, well, you're part of this present evil age too. Well, perhaps then it's the days since the death of Jesus Christ. The days in which the gospel, God's gospel, is going to be preached. That has its attractions, but I don't think it gets to the root of the matter. I think it goes back to Adam and Eve. This present age is the age that was brought about by the sin of Adam and Eve. The Bible speaks of a future age, and it contrasts it with the present age. It is the age that now is, and the one that is to come. And the one that is to come, speaking of it in terms of heaven and glory, <coughs> is different from this present age. That future age is characterized by glory, and sinlessness, and purity, holiness. This present age is characterized by sin. I think this present age is the whole period of human history, from the fall of Adam to the return of Christ. Now it doesn't refer of course to the time before the fall because there is one word in our Bibles in Genesis 1 that occurs again and again and again with regard to what God did. And when God saw all he had done what did he declare it? Good! There was no evil. Evil and wickedness came in with sin and with Adam and Eve's disobedience. So then why is it designated evil? Well I think you can now see this present age is evil because of human sin and human corruption. It is the age that apart from Christ is under divine judgment. Now you boys and girls know what happened after Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden. They had two sons and one of them killed the other one. He murdered him. Is that good? Was that a good thing? What Cain did to Abel? No. And then, you might not remember this quite so well, but a man came after them called Lamech. And Lamech boasted, I got two wives. And then he was boasting about the fact that he killed the man out of vengeance. Was that good? That was evil. Evil was progressing. And by the time we come to the days of Noah, the thoughts of the intentions of the hearts of man was only evil continually. That's this present evil age. It entered with sin. You're part of it. 
You've got a bad heart. You've got a bad record. See? By nature, it's built in. You were born with that sinful nature. Sin is an evil because it is against God. Sin isn't just something that gets you into trouble with mum and dad or with your teachers at school or with the police. Sin is something which is against God. It's the breaking of his commandments. It's the not believing in his gospel and in his son, Jesus Christ. Sin is a transgression of God's holy law. It's disobedience. It is rebellion against God. So that Paul can write to another church in Ephesus and say, by nature we are children of wrath. That's God's wrath. We're children of wrath. We're the sons of disobedience. This present evil age has its own principles, its own practices, its fashions, its way of thinking. What it pursues as importance, its tastes, how it lives and conducts itself. Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 speaks of the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of his generation. But he was describing the present evil age. Sin is not a matter of poor education. Sin is not a matter of something to do with uh, a warped personality. It's not simply karma. It's not simply social deprivation. All those things are the result of sin. But it is sin fundamentally in our hearts, in our lives, in our thoughts, our words, our deeds. That is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile the man. You know who he was talking to? told to the Jews who were priding themselves well, we're Abraham's children we're, we're, we, we keep all these dietary laws we've been circumcised you say no effect no effect whatsoever it's out of the heart that you find these evil things that are in this world the things that you and I do contrary to God's law they are evil, they are wicked problem is that we're very slow to learn and accept that this is the problem. This wicked heart that is evil. You probably speak to men and women, boys and girls, about Christ and about the gospel. And you may not do it outwardly because it'd be a bit of a giveaway, but you're shaking your head you're thinking how, how can I get through to this person the sinfulness of their own hearts no one wants to know that no one wants to hear that but the Bible emphasises it again and again and again you see people who don't accept that the evil and the wickedness of their own hearts they're living in this present evil age 
They say, why did Jesus die? It made sense to me. Paul is adamant. God's gospel says, Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us, rescue us, save us from this present evil age. And from that evil that will bring us to judgment and to hell. That's why Jesus came into this world. You say, I speak to people like probably you do. I don't see why the death of Jesus Christ was necessary. I don't think I'm a particularly bad person. I don't really believe in the fall of Adam and sin and death entering into this world. Why should I be blamed for what Adam did? And I don't need to be rescued from anything. I certainly don't see myself in the predicament you're trying to describe to me. That's what people say. But here is God's gospel. God's gospel addresses us and addresses our sin and the evil and wickedness is in our hearts and shows us Christ who gave himself for our sins and to deliver us from this present evil age. You see, if you're saying things like, well, I, I don't see why the death of Christ is necessary. I, I don't think I'm a particularly bad person. Do you know what you're saying? I'm still part of this present evil age. I'm still caught up. That is the effect of someone who is still, that's the words of someone who is still dead in their trespasses and sins. That is the language of those who have not been saved from their sins. They say, oh, I, I don't need this gospel. I'm wiser. And I, I, I can produce enough. I, I can repair the damage. I can make myself right with God if there is a God. That's what people say. And Paul is adamant. God's gospel says you need to be delivered from this present evil age. That's the only way to be saved from your sins. And I'm here to tell you, as others who come and stand here and preach the gospel, Jesus Christ is both willing and able to save you from this present evil age and from the evil of your own heart. Boys and girls, you're not too young to come to this Saviour, to come to this Jesus. There is a man in our church, he's one of our deacons. His father, who I know well, he used to be a member of our church before he had to move away. He came to Christ when he was three years old. He cannot remember the day when he was not a Christian. They say, ah, oh, well, three years old? Yeah, but now he's in his 60s. And he's been a faithful follower of Christ ever since he was three years old. So none of you are too young. Well, one or two of you maybe. Many of you here this morning, you're not too young to come to Christ. Christ holds out his hands to you and says, you come to me. Come to me. children. He saves little children. He saves seven and eight year olds. He saves 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds. We come to Christ. It's the same way as any adult. Any every adult has to come to Christ. You can come to Christ. Christ will not reject you just because you're young. 
the sooner you come to Christ and get out of this present evil age, the better it will be for you. Otherwise, you could become hardened in your heart and remain in unbelief. And the worst way to die is to die in your sins. That's the greatest tragedy. To die in your sins. I want to see you saved. I don't know who you are. <coughs> when I preach, I want to see people turning to Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins, confessing Christ. It would be greatly like to me to know in the weeks and months to come, somebody heard this sermon. Perhaps one of you younger boys who came to Christ as a result of the things that you've heard. But then, thirdly, and lastly, I'm speaking now to those who are in Christ, those who have believed, who have been delivered from this present evil age. God's gospel leads you to boast then in Christ alone. That is the effect of believing and trusting in Christ. You have been believer in Christ you have been and are being delivered from this present evil age. One day, this present age will be no more. A glorious day is coming when God will declare, Behold, I make all things new. Ungodliness, unrighteousness will have no place in heaven or in glory. No, no place in... Yes, in heaven, in glory, sorry. Refuse for a moment. Have no place. Purity. No condemnation now attaches to you if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, who gave himself for your sins. He has delivered you from this present evil age. He has forgiven you. He has renewed you in your hearts by his Holy Spirit. He has accounted you righteous. He proclaims peace to you through the blood of his Son. He's adopted you into his family. You have grace, abundant grace, and copious peace that flows to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How did all that come about? One death that Christ died. One act of obedience. Toward the end of this letter, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 13, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But what does it mean? A new creation. That's God's doing. That's Christ's doing. That's God's gospel. God's gospel leads <coughs> to boast in Christ. In a moment we'll be singing a hymn to conclude, but let me quote these words of Horatius Bonar. Not what these hands have done, 
can save his guilty soul. Not what this toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. But all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Your work alone. Your work alone, O Christ, can ease this way to sorrow. Your blood alone, the Lamb of God, can give me peace. So let me ask you very simply. Are you glorying in Christ? Are you boasting in Christ this morning? And as you step back, as it were, to view this marvellous Saviour, begin to boast in him afresh. Notice what Paul says in Galatians 1 and verse 4 at the end. It is all according to the will of our God and our Father. When did God plan out this purpose of salvation, this deliverance? When did it first enter into his mind? In eternity. God set his love upon us before the foundation of this world. Mm. And you wouldn't know that, would you? Unless God told you. And wants you to know that. So that your faith and your confidence in Him may be firm and strong. This death of Christ on the cross wasn't a last minute arrangement. Because things went wrong. Some people believe that. It's nonsense. This was part of God's eternal plan and purpose. When Christ died on that cross, he was fulfilling the will of his Father in heaven. A great multitude of men and women, boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and nation on the face of the earth have come to boast in Jesus Christ alone and to glory in him. This is a foretaste of heaven. Who are you going to be taken up with? Who are you going to see in heaven? First and foremost, you're going to see Christ. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be like him. Sinless. Pure. Holy. And you're going to thank him again for what he did on my cross. Mm -hmm. This is God's amazing gospel. Mm -hmm. This is the basis of your assurance of salvation. It is what God has done in Christ. What God has planned before the foundation of this world and is now accomplishing through the preaching of the gospel. To me it is amazing that I can stand here and invite you to turn to Jesus Christ and to come to Jesus Christ and be saved knowing that this is God's plan and purpose from eternity. And because it is God's plan and purpose, it will have its effect. Men and women will be saved. Boys and girls will come to Christ. Otherwise, what is the point of preaching? But that is the assurance, not only to the preacher, but it's the assurance of our salvation. Therefore, I say to you, boast in Christ. Make him the theme of your praise 
and of your thanksgiving, not only today, but the rest of your lives. <coughs> Why is it that the cross of Christ is the theme of so many hymns that we sing? Some of you are much older here this morning. You know the hymns off by heart. And what are the most important and precious hymns to you? The hymns about Christ? The hymns about his love and his death on the cross? Why is it we remember Christ's death until he comes when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? He wants you to boast and rely and trust in him absolutely and entirely. Don't minimize the Lord's Supper. You're rejoicing and you're boasting in him who gave himself for the sins and delivered you from this present evil this then is the foundation of God's gospel this is why this church is in existence this is why some of you are sitting here this morning having believed in this gospel all that you would all believe you would all come to embrace this Savior so we reflect today 214 years on the same gospel, the same Christ. And we will preach him, boast of him, all our lives. Throughout the coming generation will do the same thing until Christ comes. Amen. This is God's gospel. Blessed be the name of our God, our Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit who brings all these things home to our hearts with fresh conviction and power. Amen. Amen.